Hello and welcome to Sports with Sam and Steve. Steve, first off, how's it going, buddy? It's going well. Happy to be back in the office. Good to have you on again. For those of you out there that haven't listened to the show before, Steve and I are both avid sports fans who watch sports religiously. As both a passion and possible career path for us, we wanted to share our sports fanaticism with the FNM and Lancaster communities, and what better place than Franklin and Marshall's own radio station, WFNM. With that being said, we have a lot to talk about today, so let's get the show moving. Yesterday in Los Angeles was a memorial event for Kobe Bryant. It has now been one month since Kobe Bryant and his daughter Gianna tragically passed away in a helicopter crash in Calabasas, California. Jimmy Kimmel hosted this memorial characterized as a celebration of life, and it was truly just that, a celebration. Alicia Keys, Beyonce, and Christina Aguilera all performed. Words were spoken by NBA greats Michael Jordan and Shaquille O'Neal. But the speaker who will be remembered for her courage and composure in a time of unimaginable pain was Kobe's wife, Vanessa Bryant. She shared moments of her love story with Kobe and spoke about the amazing relationship that Kobe had with their daughters. She called him the MVP of Girl Dads and explained the special relationship that Kobe had with Gianna and how much they will be missed. Another speaker that really stuck with me was Rob Palenka. Palenka is the general manager of the Los Angeles Lakers, Kobe Bryant's former manager and the godfather of Gianna Bryant. He shared the last text message that he ever received from Kobe Bryant. Kobe sent this text while he was on the helicopter that fateful day. Palenka shared that Kobe was asking for help to find an L.A. student an internship. We got a true glimpse into the type of person that Kobe Bryant was. An inspiration, yes, but he was also someone who was always trying to help people succeed. For the 20,000 mourners who yesterday went into the house that Kobe built, the Staples Center in the heart of L.A., this celebration of life was a healing moment. What struck you about the event, Sam? Uh, <clears throat> I think for me, one of the biggest things was just when we when we look at this event and, and looked at you know celebrating Kobe's life. I feel like the biggest thing that stuck out was the courage that that Vanessa Bryant showed. Just she was absolutely she put her entire heart and soul into what she said. She really you know gave it the gravity that it deserved. Um, also for me, I think that the Michael Jordan thing kind of stood out to me personally. Um, I, <clears throat> I, it, that's one of the greatest to ever play the game. And the fact of the matter is, he was up there bawling and, you know, acknowledged the, the crying Jordan meme, but also that's a separate thing. And just the fact that he was so moved and so saddened by the loss of this great man was just something that really stuck with me. Yeah, I agree. I mean, all the speakers that went out there yesterday in front of all those fans. I mean, especially uh, Vanessa Bryant. It was incredible, her courage to speak in front of those 20,000 people. But something that also really stuck out to me was that I was watching it on ESPN, but also on CNN. They showed the entire event on a national broadcast with no commercials. And it really goes to show how this was really a historical event, even beyond the sports world. They didn't talk about Kobe as much as a basketball player, as much as they talked about him as a person. And CNN showing this with no commercials, the entire event, it shows how newsworthy this was, even globally. I mean, we've seen the outpouring of support internationally for Kobe and his family. And I thought Jimmy Kimmel was fantastic. He was, he was very the appropriate host for this event. He did a phenomenal job. All the performers were great. And... Like I said, this was really a healing moment for all the people who are going to miss Kobe Bryant. Yeah, definitely. And and I'll be the first to admit, I didn't really watch the actual broadcast, but I did see the snippets, and those those few ones that, that were posted really just stood out to me. But, you know, uh, will it ever be enough, honestly? I this was, this was very good for healing in the community i mean kobe bryant's legacy will live on as will his daughters the mamba and mambasita i i don't think that people will ever truly get over it. Yeah. it it was a tragic event that happened it's now it's now been one month only and it's still hard for people to move on and move past it he he was a legend uh, especially in los angeles and it's going to take time definitely um <clears throat> let's let's move on to some some happier subjects you know uh uh, Dwayne, Ray, Dwayne Wade's jersey was retired by the Heat this weekend. Uh, you know, three-time NBA champ, uh, perennial all-star, de well-deserved, especially with the Heat. So Yeah, absolutely. I mean, played almost his entire career with the Heat until he went to Chicago just for his last season. 
Uh, he's going to be remembered for that 06 championship with Shaq, uh, his time with LeBron, his relationship with LeBron, the the big three era was was a important era for the NBA. It was, yeah. you know, and he's an absolute legend in Miami. He played bigger than he was, you know, both both literally and figuratively because he was only a 6'4 shooting guard, but he played the game like, you know, a, a power forward, strong, athletic, and an amazing player, totally deserved, and I was happy to see his jersey get retired. Yeah, and, and one can argue that that, that, uh, era with the Heat and the Big Three was like the start of the new kind of basketball dynasty type team, because you know th- then we went from we went from the Heat to the Warriors to the Cavaliers for a few years, and now probably the Lakers. And I feel like that was just kind of the the stepping stone right there. It's just that <clears throat> that team with Chris Bosh, Dwayne Wade, and LeBron James is just the stepping stone from you know what the Bulls were to now what the modern dynasty is yeah absolutely it was a it was really a transition era for the nba like you said and uh, it's going to be i think it's going to be looked back as one of the best teams in nba history probably yeah definitely uh dallas mavericks filed a protest with the nba for their loss against the hawks yeah so for those for anyone who didn't see it late in the mavs hawks game with the hawks up by two trey young drove in for a layup that was blocked by mavs small forward dorian finney smith uh, the shot was close to hitting the glass before being blocked, so a whistle was blown signaling a goaltending call by the referee. Uh, as the whistle was blown, John Collins executed a putback layup, and after reviewing the play, the refs determined that there was no goaltending, but they still decided to uphold the Collins putback layup. They called that an, an inadvertent whistle. Uh, the Mavs are now protesting this game, saying that the layup should not have counted because it came after the whistle, and Mark Cuban was seen on the court arguing with the officials. So basically here, the refs aren't saying that they simply just got the call wrong. They're saying that it was an inadvertent whistle, that they blew it by accident. And the rule in the NBA is that if there's an inadvertent mi- whistle, it should immediately have been a jump ball. That layup that came after the whistle should not have counted. And... Do you think this is a broader issue with NBA officiating? I mean, I think officiating all around, not just in the NBA. I think officiating has become a contentious issue because now we have, you know, especially in the past 20 or so years, um, more recently in the in the MLB, which has just started over the past few years, we've had the availability of, of instant replay and we've had the availability of these things. And I think that uh, officiating is in a much more contentious light now because fans at home can see the replays and can see where they might have gotten calls wrong like i we were just talking about this last week with al riveron and and the pass interference calls in the nfl i think it was like three that were overturned this year which is insane because there is clearly pass interference on a lot of those calls or clearly not pass interference on a lot of them and you know and now people are calling for al riveron to get fired and I think that officiating as a as a whole now is such a contentious profession that we're never going to see a, a league where umpiring officiating is going to be like is going to be totally fine. I think so. Just from a fan's perspective, to see this happen, I can understand why people would be upset, and I can understand why why uh, Mark Cuban would be upset. But then again, a few years back, uh, that guy in the Brewers that, that had a perfect, or no hitter, or perfect game, I forget which one, taken away from him, and that umpire said, I messed up, you can't go back, you know? So, I, I don't know what, what Mark Cuban expects to get out of this, but I, I don't see anything changing. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. This is definitely a broader problem, specifically with NBA officiating. Recently, we had the hardened dunk that went through the basket, but was still not counted by the NBA uh, recently, just last month, the Damian Lillard—excuse me, Damian Lillard—example. Uh, there was a clear goaltend in the final seconds of a game uh, that was not called. It cost the Blazers a game uh, late in this playoff run. And Mark Cuban has been tweeting a lot about NBA officiating. He just tweeted out specifically about what happened this weekend so they call a goaltend they literally blew the whistle and it was a goaltend there was a putback after the whistle after the review they said no goaltend but count the basket wtf is that that's nba officiating so 
Mark Cuban has his own issues, though. Him jumping on the court after the event going down, he's getting in referees' faces, arguing with people. He's a history of this. I mean, do you think that... What do you think is going to happen with him? Is there going to be some sort of punishment? I, I mean, I don't know. I I feel like it's extremely unprofessional what he did. I don't know if there's going to be any kind of punishment. Um, in the NFL, if a, if a coach gets on the goes past the sideline, right, they get uh, they get fined or whatever. But it's not like a suspension or anything of that sort. But he's an owner, so it's a totally different story. Are are owners usually on the court like courtside like that? No, no, no way. I mean, I've never seen anybody except mark cuban do something like this i mean he mark cuban has a history of this he's been fined probably millions of dollars for his antics at this point by the nba i mean dude you're the owner of this team you can't be jumping on the court getting in referees faces and doing all these unprofessional things i understand you're passionate about your team but i, I think he should expect a hefty fine for or possibly even some other form of disciplinary action uh from the nba i i i think uh, Adam Silver is probably fed up at this point. Oh, I'm sure Mark he Cuban. is. I'm sure he is. The <clears throat> you can't have owners out here being so vocal and and bad mouthing the league that they own in. Like if he's bad mouthing the officiating of of the NBA on Twitter, that's where it becomes, I think, a extremely problematic thing because he is an owner, and you can an owner has a lot of power. Uh, like weirdly enough they have a lot of power and a lot of uh ability to create public outcry so if he's out here on twitter saying these things you know i think that's gonna lead to a huge outcry from the fans and i think that's gonna lead to a lot of people bad-mouthing officials at every turn so i think that this is really bad for the nba definitely yeah so we'll see what happens um, the XFL, week three, Guardians are terrible. Yeah. Um, that, that, we'll get to that in a little bit, but let's start with the, the, uh, Vipers Roughnecks game. That was excellent. Yeah, I'm, uh, something that week three showed to me about the XFL, originally going in after these two weeks, I thought that the XFL was a very top-heavy league, very good teams, and then very bad teams. But this week showed me that these teams that I thought were not so good, the Vipers and the L.A. Wildcats, they can hold their own. Uh, the Vipers played very, very well against the Roughnecks. They didn't pull out the win, but they showed that they they have some stuff. Yeah, they're competitive. Exactly. Um, Cardell Jones struggled against the Wildcats. Uh, he, you know, it was a really bad game for him. His dream has turned into a nightmare. This is his first professional loss. Even in college, he had never lost a game. But, you know, four interceptions, 103 yards. He got benched. It Not a good game for him. And the Wildcats took every advantage of that. Which is crazy because, I mean, the first two weeks of the season, he looked like he was going to be an MVP candidate. And I guess, they're, I mean, everybody has bad games, but that's horrendous. Um, and then on the flip side of things, P.J. Walker is out here dominating. Absolutely, absolutely with dominating. I mean, I think he has seven touchdowns over three weeks now. Yeah, this uh, this weekend against the Vipers, threw for over 300 yards, three touchdowns. I, he's incredible. I could see him getting NFL offers at the end of the XFL season. I have if no doubt. If he keeps this up, if he keeps this up, I, I can see that too. Yeah, and I mean, his, his whole story of how he got into the XFL is fascinating with the... Um, Andrew, Luck, he was a backup to Andrew Luck um, a few years ago, um, and Andrew Luck told his dad, who was the commissioner of the XFL, "Hey, you got to get this guy in. He's great." And they made a commitment to him, and it shows because he is producing and producing at a really high level. Yeah, he has a, a great connection with uh, his wide receiver. Um, it was P.J. Walker and... I'm blanking. Yeah, I'm blanking as well. But he, he's playing very well as well. He was He's now been the XFL's player of the week two weeks in a row. Uh, caught three touchdowns, all three touchdowns last week, and again, all three touchdowns this week from P.J. Walker. He's playing fantastically. And I think that he might get some looks from NFL teams as well. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised, honestly. 
it's it's really uh, really great to see. I, I think that this is exactly what the XFL needed is to show that there's talent there that the NFL can poach and take in, and that positions them as that developmental league that they want to be right now. So if if you know PJ Walker continues to improve and show that he's a capable quarterback, um, I could see this working out because you know that's a that's a talent stream that the NFL doesn't have right now. And <clears throat> they're always going to be looking for more talent. So this is great. Um, okay, moving on. St. Louis Battlehawks, New York Guardians. What the heck is going on with the Guardians, man? Uh, they're really continuing to struggle. Matt McGloin was benched again. Uh, it was unclear to me watching the game whether it was due to an injury or it was a coach's decision. Um, they had second-string quarterback Marquise Williams going in. Uh, he... Showed flashes, but didn't play so great either. They benched him, too. Then third-string quarterback Luis Perez came in and actually was the only one to throw a touchdown on the Guardians that day. He, he looked the best out of all of them. I wouldn't be shocked to see him a little bit more going forward. Uh, just a lot of struggles. There was a lot of frustration on the field, a lot of fights that the Guardians started. Um, their center was hitting guys, almost got thrown out of the game several times. And then they actually executed their best run of the day as soon as he got kicked out. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I, you know, it, it. the biggest problem I saw in that game was that the Guardians couldn't capitalize on anything. They got into the red zone, they went three and out, try, or four and out, and, got, and turned over the ball. Or they turned it over just on downs, or turned it over interceptions, fumbles, anything. It was an absolute mess. Um, that being said, can we get a real quarterback? <laughs> like, it seems to me that there has to be some talent out there. There's million. There's a bunch of college quarterbacks coming out. There's a bunch of, you know, uh, free agent quarterbacks from the NFL. Can we get someone that can play the game? Well, first of all, Matt McGloin is done. Oh, I think he's me. done in New York. Uh, there was a moment on the sidelines that where we saw audio of the Guardians head coach telling Marquise Williams, the backup QB, that he needs to be ready and prepared to be a leader because, quote, some guys I thought would be better just aren't. Clearly talking about Matt McGloin, some shade there, and I don't know if the head coach is so happy that was broadcasted, but I think Matt McGloin is done. Yeah, I, I, I have to agree with you, honestly. Just when you're playing in New York and, you know, you're trying to build this league, you can't have players who are ineffective. And he has been unbelievably bad the past two weeks. And something's got to give. It's got to be quarterback change, release him, give him a nice retirement party, that's it. That's that's pretty much that's pretty much the... Uh, the Guardians only option right now. It's just they need to they need to find a way to get competitive again and right now it's not there. Yeah. I mean, how about the Battlehawks though? I mean, their fans showed up 30,000 in attendance, a sellout of the lower bowl. Very enthusiastic fans, really incredible. Uh they were they showed up for the debut of new pro football in St. Louis. St. Louis never deserved to lose a football team. And and the way that the Rams left was pretty terrible. But I think St. Louis loves having these Battle Hawks, and they're a good team, too. They're not bad at all. They played well against the Guardians. I genuinely think that th that city, or I think that, personally, I think that the XFL positioned themselves a little weirdly in cities that already have NFL teams. I think that they would have been better suited positioning themselves in cities that don't necessarily have NFL teams. Because St. Louis, right now, is probably their best market. Be or per St. Louis and Houston, but Houston Houston's a good market for different reasons because the team is good. St. Louis is a market because they have a team now. They're what's going on right now? They have the Blues, they have the Cardinals, and now they have the Battlehawks. They don't have a professional NFL team. These are the these are their options basically. The Blues aren't doing so great. The Cardinals haven't really started their their season yet, and they have the Battlehawks. Who are playing pretty well. So there you go. It's that's that's how the XFL should have done things. Is found cities that are thirsty for NFL franchises or thirsty for football and gone with that. I know the last time around with the AAF, that's kind of what the AAF did, but the AAF had its own problems. 
I think that the XFL was a little bit ambitious, but if it if it continues to work, they'll they'll prove me wrong. But right now, that's how I feel things should have been. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree with you totally. But overall, attendance has been up three weeks in a row at the games. Like I mentioned, it was a sellout in St. Louis. TV ratings, the games averaged 1.7 million viewers nationally. Uh, they've been positioning themselves very well. I think it's been very successful these first three weeks. And we'll we'll see what happens when when more games get broadcast on cable versus basic cable. Um, I don't know if the viewership will stay up or anything of that sort. But I think that I think that the fact that games are so accessible to people like i just got an email from the guardians today saying 29 dollars seats for the 29 for the lower bowl that's inexpensive you know you could take your whole family for the price of one nfl ticket so i think that the way that they're doing that and the way that they're getting fans in the seats is going to build is going to build their market share but in the end do we think that an inferior product which it is an inferior product because you yeah. have quarterbacks like Matt McGloin is going to is going to win fans over. Yeah, well, their biggest challenge going forward and starting pretty soon is going to be March Madness. Once March Madness starts, viewers are going to be watching basketball instead of the XFL. Also, once baseball starts up, Hockey these playoffs. this this uh, period of time is kind of a lull in the sports world. XFL is filling a void, but it's a very temporary void. For sure. Uh, we'll see how it goes uh, over the next few months. For sure. Um, Johnny Manziel. As far as quarterbacks go for the XFL, let's talk about that real quick. That was a very weird situation. Yeah, very weird situation. Johnny Manziel tweeted out something along the lines of, Hey, XFL, I like what you're doing. Um, let's do this. Send me the contract, and I'll sign it, get it back to you the next day. Let's give the people what they want. And then a few hours later, deleted his Twitter account. This is coming from, this is coming from a guy who said that he was done with football a few weeks back. So, Yeah, today he came out, uh, created his new Twitter account, and said that he was just messing around. He has no desire to play football, and that he just likes stirring the pot. So... That's Johnny Manziel for course, you. If yeah. Johnny Manziel fans are going to have to wait. <laughs> you know, if <laughs> you guys can forget about it for now. That w okay. Moving on from the XFL, let's get to hockey really quick. It was a crazy week in hockey. Um, I'll just kind of run through some things here. Uh, Alex Ovechkin netted his 700th career goal, which is a huge accomplishment. He's only the eighth player in, NFL, in NHL history to do that. Um, congrats to him. I hate the Capitals, but congrats to him. And him, especially. Um, the Carolina Hurricanes had one of the weirdest games, honestly, ever this week. Um, they had to use an emergency backup goalie. So if for people who don't know what this, that is, an emergency backup goalie is a guy that's basically provided in every stadium that can suit up and play goalie if you know a team's goalie gets injured so it's one guy for both teams that are playing so that you know, uh, a skater doesn't have to go and dress up in, in goalie gear and it makes sure that there's somebody who who sort of knows how to play goalie in the stadium that being said the hurricanes used an emergency backup goalie against the maple leafs and won a 42 year old zamboni driver i love this guy second oldest in the nhl a uh, second oldest in nhl history to make his debut Second oldest, I think, goalie in NHL history to make his debut. And the oldest goalie to ever win his debut. He was a Zamboni driver. <laughs> he came out there wearing a Toronto Maple Leafs helmet, uh, Toronto Maple Leafs pants, Toronto Maple Leafs goalie pads, and still beat the Maple Leafs as a goalie of the Carolina Hurricanes. That's insane. Yeah, this guy's name was David Ayers incredible guy you know he wasn't even that bad no he either. wasn't bad at all i think he stopped like eight of ten shots in, in the period and it, it, amazing story i love the guy zamboni driver came out of nowhere but another thing that people aren't recognizing is this guy went to work that day and got to play against the team that he works for <laughs> if this guy doesn't like his boss that's the ultimate fu to, to his team i mean Incredible stuff. I loved watching it. And this guy's been all over the place, too, on on uh, 
the talk shows and it's been incredible i'm sure he has it's a it's huge news like emergency backup goalies aren't that common they don't they don't get on the ice that that often but when they do it's such it's such a fun thing it's like a it's like a position player pitching in baseball right which is now not really going to be a thing anymore which kind of stinks but it's like that it's it's uh like a novelty and people would want to go see that and the fact that he did it well makes it that much better because you know a position player gets on the mound and you're expecting home runs and hits and stuff meanwhile sometimes when they're good you're like whoa interesting and that's exactly what happened here so congrats to congrats to him that was an awesome awesome thing and the fact that he won just makes it so much cooler uh look back on miracle on miracle nice 40 years later uh this saturday was the 40 year anniversary of the usa beating russia in the olympics at i believe lake placid um it was one of the greatest sports moments in u.s history and honestly sports history the fact that this team of college players came out came out and beat this team of proven soviet guys um I mean, there's a movie made out, made out of it. It's still talked about all the time. Uh, believe it or not, it was Al Michaels' second hockey game he ever called, um, which is insane to think because, you know, you look at Al Michaels now and he's one of the most famous broadcasters ever, and it was the second hockey game he had ever called, and that's just insane. Yeah, incredible underdog story. For sure. Uh, <laughs> to have your second broadcasted game ever and to have that legendary call, you know, do you believe in miracles? Yes, Really incredible stuff all around. Great story, and really wish you could have been there. Yeah, uh, you're listening to WFNM 89.1 Lancaster. Uh, moving on, NHL trade deadline was wild. So much happened. It's the first time in a while that uh, a lot of trades happened on deadline day. Uh, the Islanders got murdered in a trade for John Gabriel Pajot. Um, not worth not worth a first round pick a second round pick and a possible third round pick uh so the islanders kind of got you know uh kind of got taken advantage of in this trade um rangers traded brady shea for a first round pick to carolina uh carolina's having some defensive troubles so they were able to get a, a solid defenseman from the rangers the Rangers also re-signed Chris Kreider to a seven-year contract. A lot of people thought that Chris Kreider was going to be moved, but they decided to re-sign him as a veteran presence. They do have a young team, and he's very good with the young guys. Um, the Sharks traded uh, Patrick Marlowe to Pittsburgh um, and decided to keep Joe Thornton, which is kind of terrible for Joe Thornton. He's, he's an older guy, and he's just basically going to be left there to die with the Sharks. The Sharks aren't going anywhere this season. Their goaltending is atrocious. Um, Robin Lerner got traded to uh, got traded to Vegas for, I believe, a play, a two players and a draft pick, including um, PK Subban's brother Malcolm, who's a goalie. Uh, That's a good move for them he's a good goalie he he signed with the blackhawks on a one-year deal and he's proven his he's proven his worth and instead of you know staying around and signing a, a home team contract uh he decided to he I, he got shipped off to vegas which kind of stinks um the oilers got some help for Connor mcdavid and leon dreisaitl uh they got andreas at atanasio i i can't really say his name from the red wings for sam uh gagner and two second round picks which is a pretty big price to be honest um it's exciting for them though they also got tyler ennis for a fifth round pick from ottawa and that's good value uh they also got uh mike green for kyle brodziak and a fourth rounder so they were pretty active they're trying to get some help for kind of david and leon dry settle who are is there that's the like two of the best uh, forwards in the league. Um, Lightning sent a first-round pick to San Jose for Barclay Goodrow, who's having a career season, but his career season is eight goals and 24 points, which isn't that exciting. Um, good defensive depth forward. Uh, not even close to being worth the cost of a first-round pick. Maybe even a third-round pick. Um, oh, maybe 
with the third round pick coming back to the Sharks in return for this first round pick, still not worth it. Um, the Lightning made a nice addition by acquiring Blake Coleman, and this move, though, overall makes them losers at the trade deadline. So, lots happened during the trade deadline in the NHL. There was probably more that I didn't actually find, but it was crazy. Like, you talk about MLB hot stove, this is a hot stove right here. That I, I was getting uh, re like news reports from Bleacher Report all day. So, crazy trade deadline. We'll see how it goes. I still think that the Rangers did the right thing by trading Shea and re-signing Kreider, but I don't think that they're going to go very far. They're still a young team. They still need uh, They still have a lot of draft picks now. Um, and we'll see how it goes. Uh, let's move on. S sorry for that kind of rant about, uh, the NHL. Boxing. So, the fight this weekend. Tyson Fury defeated Deontay Wilder in the seventh round with a TKO. Wilder's, uh, corner threw in the towel, despite Deontay Wilder thinking that the fight shouldn't have been stopped. Um, what'd you think? I was very impressed by Tyson Fury. I, I had him losing. This fight going into it, he was talking all about how he was going to go in there, take it to Deontay Wilder, and knock him out at some point in the fight. And, you know, I thought he was just saying all this stuff to sell pay-per-views and bring people into the stadium. But, I mean, he did what he said he was going to do. And I, I thought he was just, you know, it was like, yeah, right, you're just going to run around the ring and try to take these pop shots. But he did what he said he was going to do. Uh, from the first bell, he stepped to Wilder. He was fearless, and I think Wilder got a little intimidated. And, you know, he started to crumble early on in this fight. Then the shot to Wilder's ear happened. It damaged him very much, threw off his balance for the rest of the fight. I saw reports that it could have blown out his eardrum, possibly. And for those that don't know, the eardrum is what regulates your balance. He totally lost his legs, and... For, and had him, he had him off balance for the rest of the fight, and I think that it was a good move for his corner to throw in the towel, seeing how poorly he was boxing that I, night. I would have to agree with you, but there are a few things that I kind of just wanted to highlight. Um, Tyson Fury's entrance was absolutely ridiculous. Uh, he came into the song uh, Crazy from the 60s, which is, I'm crazy for feeling so lonely, that one. And it's like a really weird boxing entrance song just because it's slow. And he came in on a chair, on a on a rolling chair with people carrying it. Basically, it was meant to be like like a king looking down on his subjects. I, I know that he refer or his nickname is the Gypsy King, but that was a little bit overboard. Um, Deontay Wilder's entrance, he's blaming that as part of the reason why he lost because he was wearing a costume that was said to have weighed over forty pounds. Um, it looked really cool, but. If that was an issue, like, I feel like he should have known that. I know that this was a big fight, but come on. Like, it's one thing It's one thing to have some showmanship, but it's another thing to risk the quality of your fighting by having that showmanship. Yeah, he decided to wear that costume in honor of um, Black History Month, and it apparently weighed over 40 pounds. He said that it left his legs absolutely dead by the time he got to the ring. And you can see how opposite their walk-ins were just by looking at their... what. Tyson Fury walks in, he's not walking at all, he's having people carry him to the ring, and Wilder's walking in with weights all over him. It, it's incredible the, the disparity between the two, and if Wilder says that that's something that influenced his fight, then he should have thought about that beforehand. What a, what a, what a stupid move, honestly. I agree. I, I totally agree with you. And look, the guy shouldn't be looking for excuses for this fight. He lost. He got absolutely beat to death, right? It's it was an absolute bloodbath, and not even not even li figuratively. That was literally there was blood everywhere, leaking out of his ear. He got cuts all over his face. He uh, had Tyson Fury Tyson licking Fury on licking him. It, yeah, it he went, had ugh. Tyson Fury said before the fight that he wanted to taste blood, and he literally tasted blood. So, look. Again, I'm not a big Tyson Fury fan. He has done a lot in the past few years to, to, to help himself and to, to get himself right. I will give him credit for that. But I was really rooting for Deontay Wilder. I wanted to see I wanted to see those nasty haymakers I was I was told about. And I didn't see it, you know? I just didn't get any any real 
fight there. It just seemed like he put up nothing, put up no fight. Yeah, I think that this match, first their first match was great for boxing. It put them both on this pedestal as the two greats of the sport at the moment. They went all twelve rounds. It was a draw. The rematch was very hyped, very exciting, and it was kind of a dud. Um, not so great for boxing. Not so great for the sport because Wilder really just didn't show up. Um, there probably will be a rematch. Wilder's already said that he will use the rematch clause that was in his pre-fight contract, so the trilogy is likely. And, I mean, I'm, I'm excited to see it. As Tyson Fury said at the end of the fight, before he started singing, um, he said... He said, he was pretty gracious, honestly, in, in victory, and he said, Deontay Wilder will be a champion again, but right now it's time for me. That's that's pretty gracious for a guy who's known to be considerably cocky, right? So, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. I'm not a big boxing fan. I watch a lot of UFC, and I watch the big boxing fights, like McGregor and, and Mayweather, uh, Pacquiao and Mayweather, all of those ones that have been so hyped up in the past. I even watched the KSI and Jake Paul one for some reason. That doesn't count. It doesn't really count, but, you know... Um, They're just internet celebrities, man. I don't know if you can qualify them as boxers. They've been in the ring, though. I guess you can call them boxers. And it was hyped. It was hyped, too. Like, there there was a lot of hype around that fight, because I, I they're influencers. They can, they can get their word out there, but... Uh, like I said, I don't watch much boxing, but when it's a big fight, I will watch. And that was, I, the hype around it was good. The fight overall was disappointing. And I hope that when they run it back, Deontay Wilder decides to wear something lighter. Yeah, hopefully he comes out looking better next time. <laughs> I agree. Um, baseball. Lots going on. Yeah, the Astros, uh, now that spring training is starting... Uh, the Astros were booed at the Nats game, uh, and I think that they should start getting used to it if they're not already. This is also, beyond this practice for the sport, this is also mental practice because this heckling, booing, and jeering is not going to go away for the Astros. What did you think about it? Um, look, it's going to happen. Fans don't feel that enough was done, and I don't blame them. I said this last week. I'm going to keep saying it. The players should have been punished. And I think that these players, especially the ones that were put out there to apologize and didn't do enough, are going to get the brunt of it. I really do. I think that they messed up and there's not enough that was done. So, look, the MLB messed up. We know that. We've said it a million times. They've messed up. And this is what they're subjecting their players to now because they messed up think about if jose altuve was suspended for the year right that's bad for baseball i recognize that but at the same time we were told that he was involved so he should have been if you suspend carlos correa jose altuve these guys that were the masterminds behind it you don't have the distraction nearly as much you don't have people uh yelling at jose altuve while he's signing autographs to show them his tattoo you don't have these things yeah, I mean, even the fans in the stadium, they brought signs that were taken away by the stadium staff uh, that I guess couldn't be considered offensive to the Astros players. These were really inoffensive signs to me, though. I saw one that just said, you know, Houston asterisk with the apostrophe S. Another one that said, bang foul poles, not trash cans. Yeah, somebody I saw, they, were, they took away a sign that said that and then somebody came the next day with a t-shirt that said that so people people are gonna find a way people are gonna find a way regardless of what the astros are gonna try to do this season people are gonna find a way i'm telling you that right now yeah i don't think that they should have taken those signs though i mean that's really thin-skinned i i i agree with you but then again they're trying to save face as best they can i get that um did in the wake of the A-Rod scandal, did people do this at Yankee Stadium, or was it not such a big deal? I don't remember it being such a big deal at Yankee Stadium. On the road, it was yes. a huge deal. I remember I remember at the Red, so the Red Sox Stadium, when he came back, there was everybody was holding signs, and everybody was rooting for him to get beaned. So, I, it, in their home park, it's their decision what they do. But 
during spring training when everybody's trying to get a laugh in, like you're not going to change things. I, I at their home park during the season, if people are coming there just to just to rag on them, that's one thing. But I think right now, let let people have their fun now, and then the season will be less distracted. I think. I agree. They should get used to it. I think that Mark Teixeira said it best. He was on Get Up the other day, and he said that the Astros just haven't owned this, and that they better start owning it, or else this is going to be a very rough season for them. I agree. And the the apologies that the players handed out, as well as Jim Crane, were poor. They didn't do anything. They just basically, uh, they they basically read off a script that said two things that nobody wanted to hear. People wanted to hear. Jose Altuve say I messed up and he didn't nobody took accountability and that's where the issue lies that's why you're going to have all of all of these issues from now on because nobody took accountability and there hasn't been enough done yeah but there's a point where it does cross the line I agree, I uh, agree. recently um, Josh Reddick came out he said that he's been receiving death threats uh, along with other Astros players who've been saying the same thing and uh, here's some audio courtesy of MLB Network uh, where he said that. Have you guys been gotten threats and felt threatened since this whole thing started? Every day. We get, I think we, we get them every day, whether it's, you know, social media, private messages, just, you know, I know a lot of guys are, are fearful, fearful to even put anything out on social media because every response is going to be, you know, you know, obviously the cheater comments and then, then you know just people take it way too far with with death threats to not only myself my wife my kids you know it's just it's, it's way out of hand to where it's uh it's getting, getting a little crazy that's wrong i i totally i totally think that that's wrong um from what i from what i had read over this past week about what josh reddick had said apparently people are wishing cancer upon his children which is something that nobody should ever do and the world that we live in now where people can hide behind their screens, it's more likely that people are going to say things like that. And that's disgusting. That needs to stop. Absolutely. I mean, there's a point where you got to remember that this is honestly just a baseball game. Uh, I understand there's a lot riding on it, a lot of passions, a lot of uh, money behind it. But it should never reach a point where you are threatening another man's life. Agreed. Totally agreed. This is way beyond the scope of what should be happening. It's one thing to have fun with it and make signs that are funny, but sending death threats, that's a whole different story. While I can understand why players would be or worried about putting things out on social media, I, I totally think that that's fair, but there are some ways to get around that type of thing. Um, I know Eric Flowers, back when he was playing for the Giants and he got treated like... The, like treated terribly by fans because he was not good he disabled comments on all of his social media streams so that people couldn't talk back to him which i think for the astros sake and the players sake if they want to put something out they should do that just it'll it'll make it'll ensure that they don't get these hurtful messages and they don't see these terrible things written about them directed at them and i think that it'll make their lives a little bit easier as the season goes on yeah i mean you can be mad all you want you can boo at the games but this definitely crosses a line um there's no way other way to put it that these people need to stop and it's really disgusting like you said i agree it's it's awful um enough about the astros i'm sure we're going to be talking about this a bunch for the next couple of months weeks Anything like that. Um, moving on. The Mets. A report came out this week that made my stomach upset. <laughs> Let, to, to put it lightly. It, there was a report that came out from Metsmerized Online, uh, which is a pretty reliable Mets blog, that basically talked about James Dolan being interested in purchasing SNY, which is the Mets Regional Sports Network. But... The stipulation was, apparently, that if he wanted to buy SNY, it was likely that he would have to purchase the Mets as well. That scared the absolute crap out of me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the only way the situation could get even worse for the Mets. If his ownership of the Knicks is any clue, I don't know if uh, Mets fans should be very excited about this. I think that there's only one situation where ownership could possibly be worse for the Mets 
and it would be under James Dolan. I think that is the one situation where ownership could be worse than than the Will Ponds. Mets fans have been saying for years, sell the team, sell the team. You know, maybe this is one of those be careful what you wish for situations. Oh God, I hope not. But uh, as as it stands right now, it's still looking like Steve Cohen is in the running to buy the team. Um, they're gonna put it to the auction as as is common with a lot of team sales. You know, originally when we heard the the stipulations and the specifics of the deal with Steve Cohen. Um, a lot of stuff didn't make sense. He didn't get ownership of SNY in the deal. He wouldn't be involved in team operations for five years. And that made little sense to me because the guy's putting in $2.6 billion to go and buy a team. And the fact that he would have no type of control makes no sense. So I think now that we have moved into this phase of ownership stakes and stuff like that... Um, I think that we're going to see a little bit more of a logical process there in terms of how people are going to be buying this team and how people are going to be bidding on it. And honestly, <clears throat> sorry, honestly, I still think Steve Cohen's going to end up buying the Mets. I think that in this process, he's a minority owner. The, the team knows him. I think that he really wants it and he's willing to overpay. And I don't think you're going to find someone with as much money or as much res- or as much money or resources as Steve Cohen to go and buy this team. I don't. Yeah, I'd have to agree with you on that. He does still seem to be the front runner. It's just a funny story to see James Dolan throwing his name in the mix. Not, it's not funny for me, Steve. I, I, I got to be real with you. It's not funny for me. <laughs> it's as, funny for everyone else. It's, it's <laughs> funny for Knicks fans, I'm sure. Uh, but as a Rangers fan, I've seen how he can be when he's standoffish because the team has been good under his reign. Because, I mean, they made it to the Stanley Cup Finals in 2015. They haven't been so good recently, but he lets Jeff Jeff Gordon do his thing. And right now, they're, they're a young team, and they're getting better as time goes on. So, I have, to, I have to be skeptical, and I have to be worried. But also, at the same time, I know that uh, James Dolan's net worth is $1.5 billion. He doesn't have the money to go and take full ownership stake of the Mets. So... I I can I can rest a little easy knowing that that's that's true, but I I still think that Steve Cohen is the front runner to to own this team, and I'm gonna stick with that. Um, let's move on to Madison Bumgarner. This story is absolutely insane. What a weird story. It's I mean he's a he's a, a country guy, but this is crazy. So Madison Bumgarner was spotted this offseason um i think it was roping cattle at a place in arizona so this is just before he was signed by the diamondbacks he was spotted on the facebook page of a cattle roping place rodeo a rodeo in in arizona and he had won this cattle roping competition under the name mason saunders apparently he's been doing this for years what I don't understand how anybody how how he could have kept this a secret for so long. He has been competing in rodeos under a fake name while also pitching for the the Giants. For the Giants, yeah. I it, is this real life? I mean, how how has no one known this? It blows my mind. I feel like it would be a breach of his contract. Not, not if he doesn't tell anyone. He's been I mean, using a fake name. That's true, but I feel like now now that the Giants know, they could probably file a grievance. Honestly. Maybe that, I mean he he has he's pledged to stop now that he's on the Diamondbacks. That being said, okay, Mason Saunders, his alias was he explained it as Mason is a shortened version of Madison, and Saunders is his wife's maiden name, and that is the name that he was cattle roping under during this time. And Bruce Bochy heard about this. So Bruce Bochy is his former manager with the San Francisco Giants. And he said, you know, I had no idea. And I have some crazy stories about Madison, but this one tops them all. And I'm going to give him so much flack for this. It's absolutely insane. I have no idea how this man has done this yeah, what for a, this long. What a great piece of journalism from The Athletic Honestly, to, that, to uncover this story. The Athletic, despite the fact that it's a, it's a subscription-based service, is an excellent news source. I have to say that now. I don't like subscribing to news sources, but The Athletic is one that I do because it's excellent. And the stories that they put out and the writers that they have are the best in the business right now. 
Um, some news came out today. Really sad for you, Steve. Uh, for a, a rotation that was supposed to be great and supposed to be pretty dominant all around, all across the board. Uh, unfortunately, Luis Severino for the New York Yankees needs Tommy John surgery, which is a big upset for Yankees fans. Yeah, he should be their second starter in the rotation. You know, not anymore. Obviously, he's going to be out for the 2020 season. Big, big blow for the New York Yankees. Um, overall, he missed most of last season, so the Yankees still performed very well without him. Now they have Garrett Cole as well. Uh, I'm not so worried about their playoff prospects after this injury, but still a huge, huge blow for the New York Yankees. Okay, yeah, I it it's really stinks. I I feel terrible for that. The guy the guy pitched all of what 20 innings last year. It's really terrible. As a Mets fan who's seen Zach Wheeler come back from two years of not playing baseball, essentially, there's hope. I gotta say that there is hope. And Zach Wheeler turned turned you know two years of not playing baseball and a lot of a lot of hardship into a big contract with the Phillies this offseason. So there is hope for Luis Severino to come back and still be good. Absolutely, it's just unfortunate that you know fans and the New York Yankees are missing out on two of his prime years. Yeah, I, I, I would have to agree, and it, it's really upsetting. Um, do you know what depth that the Yankees have, or is there just is it just a kind of next man up thing, and they'll kind of patchwork it until they figure something out? Well, with the Paxton injury as well, uh, it's going to be rough going for the first part of the season. Uh, they have Tanaka and other mid-range guys who are going to be called up probably and uh, it's going to be rough going for the first half of the season do you think do you think that this means we'll see davy garcia in the majors sooner rather than later or do you think that that's uh do you think that that'll be tabled for a little bit later i think the yankees are going to see how they fare in the beginning of the season i don't think they're so eager to call him up this injury obviously makes them a little more eager but they're gonna they're gonna see how the ship sails and then make a decision sounds good okay let's take a break for a psa we'll be right back when I was little, I didn't talk for a long time. I liked things to always be the same. Anything new or different would scare and upset me. I was very sensitive to lights and sounds. But it's almost like I had bigger eyes and ears than everyone else. So I built super hiding places where nothing could get in. I didn't like looking people in the eye. It made me feel uncomfortable. I drew a big tantrum for the little things like when they sound different. Sometimes I do the same things over and over again. Until one day I found out I had autism. My family got me home. Slowly I learned how to live with it better. You can see signs of autism in children as young as 18 months. Early intervention can make a lifetime of difference. Learn the signs at autismspeaks.org slash signs. Brought to you by Autism Speaks at the Ad Council. Okay, now moving on real quick. Uh, let's get the NFL. Um, this is something that we are very we feel very strongly about, uh, which is player safety. Uh, this week, the NFL reinstated Vontaz Perfect. Vontaz Perfect. Um, who was suspended for 12 weeks of the season for spearing a player in the head, which has been a constant problem for Vontez Perfect. He's had a history of this, first with the Cincinnati Bengals and now with the Oakland Raiders. Does the NFL just not care about player safety? Because, like, look, Miles Garrett got reinstated, uh, was it last week too? Who also uh, hit a guy over the head with a helmet. Like... That's these things are against NFL rules, and yet we still have players coming back that are feel I feel haven't gotten enough discipline. I really don't. Yeah, I mean with Vontez Perfect, he's had repeated violations of player safety rules. Some go as far to call him a dirty player. He's a danger to other players in the game, and I'm not so sure why. He served his suspension. I'm not so sure why the NFL is so eager to bring him back. Again, with Miles Garrett, with his uh, outburst against Mason Rudolph. I, I The NFL obviously cares about player safety, but these two guys bringing him back the same... 
timeline. It's 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 not a great look. These it's, guys are pretty violent, and uh, like I said, it's just not a good look. It's it's a terrible look, and it, it again, it just feels like the NFL does not care about player safety. It really doesn't because these are two guys. Excuse me, sorry. Uh, these are two guys that have a terrible track record of disciplinary issues. And look at where we're at. Now they're back. What's what's going to happen the next time Vontez Burfik spears some guy in the head? It's, it's just going to be another another uh, indefinite suspension and then we're going to reinstate him in the offseason? Like, that seems ridiculous to me. They gave him what was called an indefinite lifetime ban and they suspended him technically for 12 weeks. What is that? That's... That's not an indefinite li- lifetime ban. That's a season ban. That's not a lifetime ban. And if we're gonna if we're gonna keep, you know, suspending players for a relatively short amount of time in in the in the grand scheme of things, twelve weeks in the NFL season is a relatively short amount of time. It's three months, and during that time, he's still allowed to, I believe, be at NFL facilities. So he could just go and train, and then that's one thing. So what are we gonna do with this? Yeah, kind of a weak statement from the commissioner's office in the NFL. Like I said, I really have no idea why they're so eager to bring this guy back. I'm sure players are not happy about it. And, I mean, we'll see if he commits another offense. I, I really hope not. I, I really hope not either. But if it happens again, I think that the NFL needs to come down with an iron fist on that. Because it just seems to me that they're not doing enough. They're most definitely not doing enough. Um... On a lighter note, Des Bryant worked out with Patrick Mahomes this offseason. Uh, should he, is he going to be returning to the NFL? I don't know. I mean, Des Bryant is somebody I, I look at with kind of regret. Uh, he kind of wasted his time in the NFL to an extent. He wasn't so motivated to be the greatest. He w- he had great talent. you know. Now he's 31. He should be in the prime of his career, but now doesn't have, doesn't even have a contract. I think he still has something left. I hope he can be of value to some team. But then again, the market is flooded with wide receivers. This draft is flooded with wide receivers. Uh, and you just can't be a headache like Des Bryant was for the Cowboys. Even XFL receivers are looking pretty good. Yeah, I'm sure. And and look, Des Bryant tried to come back, and he hurt himself, and uh, he hurt himself, I believe, in practice, which is terrible. Because he, he got a contract with the Saints, and then he hurt himself in practice, which... It's terrible. It really is. And then after that, you know, no team really gave him a chance because he had such a bad reputation as, as a as a me 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 guy with the Cowboys, and it shows now. And I last year when the Giants had issues with receivers and they were running out of guys, I was a big fan of trying to sign him, but it never came to. I don't know why. It seemed like the right move. You know, he was 30 years old. Again, prime of his career. Time to time to get moving. And, you know, it just didn't pan out. I hope that a team finds a way. I really do. Because the NFL is better with a dynamic receiver like Des Bryant in the league. So, I hope he finds a way. And, yeah. I It might be cool to see him back. Next up. Uh, should the Packers draft their replacement for Aaron Rodgers? I personally right now don't think so. I I do think so. I do think so. Aaron Rodgers has been declining over the last few seasons. He's not the Superman that he once was. If we look at history, Aaron Rodgers was drafted by the Packers in Brett Favre's age 35 season. Now Aaron Rodgers is in his age 35 season. I think the Packers should take a look at the talent in this upcoming draft. Um, But let's look at it like this. Aaron Rodgers was considerably upset when he sat behind Brett Favre for those few seasons, right? He was behind Brett Favre for two seasons, right? Something like that. Look at guys like Jacoby Brissett or or Jimmy Garoppolo, who sat behind Tom Brady at age, what, 38, 39? And what happened? They are just sitting, waiting for their opportunity, and they got traded away. Meanwhile, Aaron Rodgers, I'm telling you, is still going to be playing until he's, like, until he's doing Tom Brady things at, like, 45 years old, Okay. That's what's going to happen. Tom Brady's been on the steady decline for a few years, too, I would say. I, even his Super Bowl winning season a few years back, I didn't think that he was particularly good. And he had his, his whole thing is, you know, just that uh, he's had a good team around him and he's able to make receivers. And so, yeah, I, I, think, that, I think that 
Uh, they shouldn't draft one just yet. I think that they should wait for a season where they might have a down year and then go from there. Um, real quick, last thing, Ben Roethlisberger's back to throwing footballs. Uh, he's also getting older. He's got the same... He's the same. He was the same draft year as Eli Manning, Philip Rivers. Eli Manning's now retired. Philip Rivers is a free agent. What do we? What can we expect out of Ben Roethlisberger now? Well, I'm excited to see his return. Uh, I think the biggest thing the Steelers need to do is find a better backup for Ben Roethlisberger. Mason Rudolph is just not cutting it. I agree. Uh, anyway, so that's the end of our show. Uh, thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, this has been Sports with Sam and Steve, and we will see you next week.